And welcome to Wednesday on the Piero Pelka Podcast. It's Mike, and yes, I'm a little delayed because I was a little under the weather earlier today. Kind of feeling better right now, so we're going to do a much shortened podcast. But this one is going to feature our favorite, Dr. Michael Roizen of the Cleveland Clinic. He's the guy I always talk to about health and wellness. I'll tell you what, let's get him in here. Dr. Roizen, Cleveland Clinic, right now on Wellness Wednesday on the Pure Opelka Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 9th of March, and uh, Wednesday means we talk about not only the news, but wellness and wellness news with our friend Dr. Michael Roizen from the Cleveland Clinic, who has joined us, gosh, for years now. Doc, I can't believe it's uh, actually like two years that we started uh, officially talking about the pandemic, even though you and I talked about it months before then. Can you believe this would be the third year of this pandemic? Is it now an endemic, though? Is that how we're referring to COVID? Well, the endemic means it's in the society, in the circulation that we will be exposed to. We're hoping that it isn't endemic. This is, um, you know... I'm actually hoping that there's been, you know, one of the silver linings uh, to this whole thing is that we've learned a ton more about vaccine development. And I'm hoping that um, the good folks at Moderna and Pfizer who are working hard on this and at NIH and in, you know, places like Peter Hotez's lab and other places, um, develop a long-acting version of both the flu and, um, if you will, the COVID-19 vaccine so that um, we actually get one shot every 10 years or something and we don't have to worry about it. Uh, except to make sure we remember every 10 years. I'm thinking we're getting closer to that. And in that case, hopefully neither the flu nor this will be endemic. Well, if we get enough people to get the va- get that vaccine, if and when it gets developed. Uh, a lot two, of ifs there. Two quick questions before we get to all your great research. Um, do we have a disease that has a 10-year vaccination that, you know, you get a shot and you don't have to think about it for 10 years? Well, we got a whole bunch of them, right? The childhood measles, mumps, rubella. Um, yeah, there are a whole bunch of them. And uh, in the adult version, there's the shingles vaccine and the pneumovax, our 10-year vaccine. So oh. it depends on their ability to stimulate our immune system enough to cause what we call plasma cells to form, go to your bone marrow, and then when if they come into you, your bone marrow activates, and those plasma cells activate into B and T cell stimulants, and you wipe it out. So the, the uh, vaccines are kind of like parrots going, hey, plasma cells, go to your bone marrow and get in there. Don't come out. For 10 years. Well, that's your immune system. Your immune system, if it gets enough beta cells, some of them will form plasma cells. And that's why this next booster, if we get it, maybe assuming we get it, it may, and it's safe enough, we may end up um, having a tremendous benefit because we'll get plasma cells to COVID 
19 and its variants, and uh, we won't have to worry about it being endemic for us. Good. I hope that happens. My last question on this topic, uh, because it came to my head, as this thing seems to be riding off into the sunset, I did not get COVID, to my knowledge. I, I tested negative once almost 15, 18 months ago, but I never got the COVID officially. Am I okay? Do we think there's enough herd immunity around now that I don't have to worry about getting it? Um, well, you've also been boosted. Yeah. Um, and so I think we'll probably all get boosted again sometime, and then you're going to be not have to worry about it. But right now, you probably have a very low risk. Remember, it's still in the community. I don't know. There's still whatever it is, 20,000 cases a day in the U.S. Um, whatever, you know, a low number, but it's not a zero number. Yeah. And uh, so there's a low chance you'll get it. I mean, you know, there's 330 million people. You got to come in contact with one of those 20,000, let's say, in a three-day period. So 60,000 out of 330 million, which is what uh, six 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 out of uh, 330,000, one out of 50,000. So what's the chance you're going to come in contact with one out of those 50,000 people? especially since they're not in the state that you're in yeah. to any degree. They're in different, you know, they're in different locations than uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and Florida now. I didn't realize so, uh, math was going to be on the exam today, Doc, so I didn't prepare for this. Well, system. so I think you're unlikely. I mean, it's not like there are um, 300,000 anymore and you got, you know, much greater chance. Yeah. Thank God the numbers are down. I'm, I'm just... I'm very thankful I didn't have to um, deal with that battle, and and yet um, I would like to hope that I'm I'm kind of fed up with all the inoculations and boosting. I'm hope I could be done with it, but we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. Let's get to this research because in your research this week, and Dr. Michael Royzen, our friend from the Cleveland Clinic, who's just he's he's amazing on all this stuff. By the way, his new book soon to be released, The Great Age Reboot. Cracking the Longevity Code for a Younger Tomorrow. It's due out in September, but we're going to keep harping on it because everybody's going to want this book to be able to live younger and really dial it way back. Uh, in your uh, research this week, Doc, there are uh, two items that really got my attention. Uh, number one, um, moderate wine consumption with meals may reduce type 2 diabetes risk. What is moderate? Is that one bottle or two? Well, that's, that was actually, when I saw the headline on the article, that's what I looked at. So it's uh, 300,000 people over 10-year period, 8,500 in uh, the U.K. developed type 2 diabetes. And when they looked at what their food and alcohol consumption patterns were, and they get that regularly in this uh, U.K. biobank study, it turned out that women and men who had one drink a night for women, one to two for men, you know, four to five nights a week, would have, and they ate it with the food, rather than before food or after food, um, would uh, have a 40% reduction in their risk of type 2 diabetes. Wow. 
So um, if you're going to drink, you don't want to drink before you eat as with an appetizer. You don't want to drink after you eat. You want to drink during the meal. And maybe it's because it decreases the amount you drink and the amount you eat. Maybe it's because you reduce portion size. Maybe it's because you socialize more uh, while you're eating food and, and consequently eat slower and less, get full for, fat, faster. But whatever the cause is, it's a consistent finding that eating uh, a little wine, having a little alcohol during a meal or eating while drinking is a benefit compared to uh, not drinking or compared to drinking before or after the meal is done. So it's with the meal, having a handful of nuts at the bar doesn't count. Correct, because that's not eating with a meal. Okay, that's very good because... Well, that's that's excellent news, and and just understand that it's important how you process this. People put it together with a meal, one drink for women, one to maybe two for the guys. Uh, all right, the other one that's food related, because you know I always go to food. Um, the health benefits of garlic. We've been told for a bazillion years that garlic is good for us, and I love garlic in food. Try to use it all the time, except breakfast. Uh, what did we learn something new? Is there more concrete evidence? No. What what data there are is that if you that garlic um, is a great spice, and if you substitute it for, for example, salt, you'll have a lower blood pressure. But it isn't, and the allicin, the oil in it, is supposed to be the effective health component. Um, but uh, you know, and we used to say if you ate a, if you ate enough garlic, people would stay away from you, and maybe that was the benefit by <laughs> keeping distance. Um, but in any case, um, whatever the the cause, um, there isn't a huge amount of data other than in, um, if you will, hypertension and cardiovascular disease that using it as a spice instead of salt instead of other things is a benefit. I'm in. I'm in on that. And a little salt can go a long way, too, people. And so will a little garlic. But it's okay. Doc, I hear this term colloidal silver all the time. What the heck is it? And is it safe? And what does it do? Um, No, it's not safe. Silver is a great antibiotic and antiviral. So um, the the point is um, that... Uh, how do I say it? There is a um, a benefit to a colloidal silver if you put it on the skin. And people used to drink it before there were antibiotics and before we knew better. The problem is silver is a toxin to both your liver and your kidney and long-term to your nervous system. Hmm. So not only will you turn blue, you look like a blue man. We had a blue man on Oprah who, um, <laughs> he just consumed colloidal silver day, you know, day and night as a uh, thing. Um, crazy. Um, but anyway, he, uh, um, that was his, uh, he, he turned, his thing. He, he was, his skin was, 
Is it is he, it because he it's became a, a blue man? Yeah, that's the, exactly he, right. The original he, blue man group. <laughs> yeah, that's what you'd like to say, but he was really a blue man. Well, does it um, um, is it a heavy metal that then stays in your body and doesn't leave like lead does or whatever that is when you get metals in your system? Um, it yes. Okay. And it doesn't leave, and it and because it causes kidney and liver damage, it accumulates in the kidney and liver, um, and uh, if you will, that's not good. Okay, yeah, I'm 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 a fan of not having to replace organs. I think that's uh, always a good thing. So take care of your kidneys and liver. Uh, the other thing on here that caught my attention: a couple of very important stories. I would think. Having certain health conditions as a kid in adolescence, they're saying maybe linked to aging faster. What what might those adolescent health conditions be? Oh, take a guess. Um, I, I so this is actually smoking? a shrinkage of your gray matter in your brain. Oh. You shrink your brain size by about five percent every decade after age thirty. So what happens is. These kids, by age 50, if they had these conditions or did these things in adolescence, had a brain that was about four years smaller, hmm. equivalent of four years smaller on average. Is it smoking one of them? Smoking is one of them. Very good. Okay. Uh, Come on, you got... You, you only oh, got a, obesity. Obesity. You got two out of three. Oh, okay, what's the third one here? The third one would be... Um, uh, watch too much television, monster movies. No, they didn't do that. It okay. was actually you had ADHD, unfortunately. Oh, really? Well, when I was a kid, we didn't talk about ADHD. We didn't have that diagnosis. It was just you're not paying attention enough in school. You you got to be you got to focus more on your homework. You got to knuckle down, little mister. But so um, that is linked to a smaller brain, which gets to faster aging in adulthood. That's that's worrisome. Uh, and then, Doc, every week it seems we talk about vaping and e-cigarettes and the story of the American basketball player who's being held in Russia right now with a vape pen that had uh, hashish oil cartridges in it. I point to that and go, see, you don't need to be vaping. But now they're saying uh, e-cigarette use, the kind of vaping stuff, may increase pre-diabetes? Yeah, the, uh, how do I say it, is vaping of any sort. You can vape milk, but because it's vaping and it heats it, that causes inflammation in your lungs, which then is spread by your immune system throughout your body. And that's what causes the insulin resistance. It means it blocks the ability of insulin to get sugar into your cells where mm. it's needed for energy. Sugar in the bloodstream, bad sugar inside the cells, usable. Well, when you don't, when you have insulin resistance, you don't get the sugar in the cells. It stays in the bloodstream and causes problems. And that's what inflammation does. It causes you to have insulin resistance so you don't get the sugar into the cells. And it stays in the bloodstream. That's what is type 2 diabetes and causes the dementia. From a kid's standpoint, let's be kind. It causes impotence in men and it causes wrinkles in women. Wow. And if that ain't enough, um, 
then it also causes brain rot over the long term. So brain rot over the long term takes the lead out of the pencil for the guys, brings wrinkles to the women. Is there any more evidence you people need to get away from vaping or e-cigarettes? It's That's such great. You know, that's what will get the guys to stop right now, Doc. And they will also tell the women, uh, you know, that causes wrinkles. And that that's scientific proof. His name is Dr. Michael Royzen. He is my friend. He is also one of the wisest guys I know with great common sense solutions to the health issues in our lives. And the, the book coming out in November, uh, not November, coming out in uh, September 913 of this year, The Great Age Reboot. You need to look it up. It's probably pre-orderable right now, isn't it, Don? It is pre-orderable, and I love you to do it because that gets Amazon to uh, do more for it. So please do pre-order it. In fact, pre-order two of them. Give one as a gift because your friends will want to know. The key is not only how can you prepare for it, that is what to do to be ready so you actually benefit by being 20 years younger or 30 years younger than your calendar age, but it is also what's going to happen to society and how you should prepare for those changes. And that's really a, a difference from this and other books. Um, so we had uh, the great Peter Linneman, an emeritus professor at Wharton, who talks about how you prepare for it financially and what's going to happen to human capital and society and how this is really a great thing if we do the right things and if you do the right things in preparation for it. It's a great idea. The Great Age Reboot. Go to Amazon, pre-order it now and order too, like Dr. Royce had said, because you don't want to be the youngest one in your group. If all your friends are dying off, you don't want to have to go and make new friends. You want them to be younger too. You want them to reboot their age. Doc, I can't thank you enough. We always have a good time and I always learn a lot, my friend. And we should say you almost had a hole-in-one this week. Did you tell your your audience about that hole-in-one? No, I didn't. I got close. I got very close on Saturday, about two feet, two and a half feet. And, yes, I made the birdie. And I'm thinking it's going to happen eventually. Eventually. Sooner, I hope, rather than later. And that's with a bad shoulder. Can you imagine what you would have had with a good shoulder? It would have been off the green. Yeah, I would have overshot the target 100%. Thanks for reminding me, Doc. Uh, let's do this again next week. Take care. Absolutely. 